Hello, my name is Rachel Stonecipher and I am your host at Stone Butch Disco. What you are about to hear is what had been planned as the first episode of the podcast. So you're going to hear some introductory remarks from me and my friend Sam, who uh, joined for the first couple episodes. I kind of explained that last episode, which would have been the second episode. I just want to put us all in a very confusing kind of time vortex. Um, I feel like this episode is way too much me talking. The more I listen to it, in my defense, what we had done was like work on an outline where I was going to be introducing the project. And so I just felt like I had so much I was supposed to say. I think I anxiety ridden me went way overboard, but it kind of evens out a little bit toward the middle where you're hearing more from Sam about these same issues that I was kind of introducing at the beginning. I guess my own particular experiences and like traumas and all that shit were pretty foundational to the project itself and to the website, stonebridgedisco.com. So I think that's why it just feels like navel gazing when I'm re-listening to it. But I also think it has, what I've been through has a lot of potential to help people who might have similar experiences. I mean, I promise if I was doing any of this for my own ego, I would still be in the academy, like waxing philosophical for money instead of for my own ears. Um, anyway, that's enough of my defensiveness. Um, there is a website, as I mentioned, stonebushdisco.com, where uh, all the writing that has resulted from, well, not resulted, all the writing that has gone into the foundations of this project that is kind of all wrapped up with it is there. And so some of the some of the issues that we talk about here, I think I mentioned a paper or two at some point, those are um, on the website, on the homepage of stonebushdisco.com. And I I have put so much effort into reading lesbian theory that I, I do hope that even if like, you know, what I've written is not so compelling to you, although I've gotten good reviews from folks who I think are enjoying it. And I want to thank everyone from the bottom of my heart again, uh, who's gotten in touch to kind of keep me going on that front. Um, I, I just hope that like what I've done there with providing kind of a literature review of lesbian philosophy could be useful anyway for anybody who's interested. Okay. Also, please reach out to us, stonebutchdisco at gmail.com. Um, we officially have a backlog of incredible freaking people who want to come on the podcast. And we're always looking for more people to interview, you know, more perspectives, more reflections of the Butch Disco Ball. We welcome feedback of any kind. And if you're an academic um, or a teacher, I'm fully willing to nerd out with you. I've had a couple of amazing conversations via email with somebody who's building like a lesbian theory centric syllabus um, with some other folks who just wanted to kind of talk through some of the philosophy. And that is like life giving to me. So not only because it makes me happy, but also because I think it's doing the world some good for us to talk about this stuff. Reach out stonebutchdisco at gmail.com. So um, this week, you're actually going to get two episodes from us because we're going to get um, behind if we don't release this one, which was delayed a little bit for tech issues. And then also tomorrow, I'm going to release the interview with my wife um, about Mexico City and comparisons to gay life in the United States. All right, that's the plan. Um, I really hope you enjoy this episode with Sam. I hope if you're just coming to this podcast that this is um, as good an introduction as any of the episodes to what the fuck we think we're trying to do here. You know what? I I dare them to sponsor us if they would really like our like our support. If yeah, exactly. We we will withhold that stamp of approval um until we don't have to take a break within 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
to get back on. Okay. Um, hey there. I am Hi, Rachel. Hi, hi. I'm I'm Rachel. Wait, no, I should introduce you first because that's polite and gentle butchly. So this is Sam Block. Um, this podcast is called Stone Butch Disco. It is a dream come true. Um, because my very close friend, Sam Block, uh, and I have decided, I think after Instagram courting, butch Instagram courting of many months that we had similar kind of feels around butchness and stuff. And so I was like, Hey, Sam, let's talk about it. And we can actually put out into the world things that we, not even things that we believe more like questions that we would like to raise about the contemporary situation of butch lesbians. And, um, as a means of introducing Sam further, I would like to say that her other podcast club chainsaw um, is best represented by if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, the little alien dude behind her, um, Sam. Would you mind just introducing us to his squishy little head? Because I just want to see him get oh, squished. Yes. This is my fine little nope alien. His squishy little head is crafted from like a fake pleather, so got some real quality here. Truly, I, when I saw that movie, I was like, I need this little guy, and he was at Universal Haunt this year, so he I became just... like. I uh I hold him out at mazes to ward off scares almost. He's like my comfort <laughs> alien. Yeah, this is like this is my yet another example of how like you said something and I was like me too because when I saw that movie I didn't even dream of the idea that there would be a little one that I could take home but when they were around I was like I love that thing like instantly like I want to squeeze him. Okay. That's Sam Block. Sam Block loves horror. Sam Block loves um lesbians and being a lesbian and uh and my name's Rachel yes should we toss it to you I would like to introduce you because you're not going to introduce yourself with enough fanfare uh this (laughs) is the fabulous Rachel Stone cipher literally when you say Instagram recording I feel like that's generous because I felt like I was just like looking at your profile for serotonin for a long time before we started talking because you're just like (laughs) very strong cool professional writer teacher um and like not shy about your feelings about being a butch you know and I came to this identity later in life not really the way I look but I think we've had different journeys to to butchness so we we have very much a lot of similar feelings but different journeys so that's why I'm excited to talk to you about it I think and I would like to return the fanfare uh specifically in the vein of veins creepy specifically in the vein of like I feel like your art which we can plug at another time as well um and Sam's a great artist I'll plug it right now um your art and your just like your comments on things your commentary is Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot of depth and I think the world needs it and I think truly truly I was like Sam's Sam's journey is different so different from mine and so important to hear what if we slam our two journeys together and make a podcast and and we've done it this is we've it. slammed our journeys together and created a beautiful podcast baby slammed them like <laughs> i wonder what that what the graphic for that kind of slamming looks like um so yeah this podcast is a dream come true because um as we all know especially through the pandemic we got internet friends and i get to make a podcast with my my best internet friend and hopefully real life friend too. yeah um well, if you invite me to California, that's going to be way more fun than if I invite you to Dallas, Texas. Oh, yeah. We can go to Disneyland. There's oh! there's a lot here. <laughs> okay, let's stop recording because I'm going to get on a plane. <laughs> um, yeah. I Yeah, this is, a, this is a dream of mine, too, because 
you know, just having a space to talk about what it what it means to be a dyke to me and to you yeah. is very exciting. And I think so what really attracted me to you, I'm going to keep using like really kind of romance centric <laughs> words, um, was like, I think you and I are both kind of not fearful of just being real about where we've been with being with being, with capital B being, um, and like becoming lesbians and becoming butchers and all that stuff. And I think you kind of saw in some of the riskier things, I guess risky-ish, that I've posted on Instagram or some of the things about my journey that have, and this is sad. It's sad. It's sad that like when you post stuff about your journey, sometimes people still tell you to shut up. Um, but I feel like you, you kind of saw that what I was trying to do, like I knew that I had come to my identity late and I knew that other people probably would benefit from seeing that I'd been through some shit and so I was like just trying to put out there that some of the dominant narratives around being a lesbian or being a butch are are hiding parts of my experience or at least I'm I started to feel this kind of like erasure and I wanted sometimes to just break through that with words and I feel like what you saw on some of those posts was like yo she's just trying to talk like she's just trying to talk and I think you and I are both trying and I think this podcast could be a space for us to open that door. Yeah, honestly, I think one of the hard parts about being any kind of a minority group is that yeah. you feel a little bit of a pressure to talk for your community or talk for other people. And us learning that like our journeys are our journeys and sharing that, you know, it, it's it's kind of an exorcism for us. And it is for other people yeah. who are in that situation too. But if you don't agree with it or if it's not your journey, you know, that's not it it's not saying that you're wrong or your journey's wrong it's just saying that we we might have had different um experiences than the common narratives and it's kind of right. it can be hard to get out there because um being being afraid that people will be reactive i guess to yeah. to what is just for you your life experience right and i mean we're kind of dancing around stuff we'll get into in more depth later. And it has a lot to do with the name of our podcast, uh, Stone Butch Disco, which I guess I should kind of explain. Um, I grabbed the handle, the website handle, stonebutchdisco.com years ago when I realized that it kind of vibed with something, with a part of my experience that, I don't know, it just felt like powerful. So I, I created, I guess, that little phrase um, as a reflection of the book Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Feinberg. And Leslie Feinberg is kind of my guiding light for all the different questions and the searches for answers that butches go through around, you know, experiences of having a sexed body of like femaleness question mark and um, identifying as a woman or a lesbian or not. And the kind of boundary troubles that we deal with when we're entering this territory of identity and um, Feinberg is just so poetic and also like expansive in the way she allows us to think about the possibilities of being this and this, right? Like not this or this, but this and this. And um, that is is what I was really feeling was kind of missing. Um, and so I think this podcast is partly, and I and I don't know how true this is for you, but I feel like we both feel there's some kind of, just because we've talked about it before, there's some kind of silencing and silences around the complexities of butch identity that are always going to happen throughout history all the time. And we're currently just in a moment where particularly like really 
upsetting words like female are getting are becoming like really polarized. And just to drop this here, I, the word female is not upsetting to me, um, but I've noticed that it causes a lot of upset, even in situations where it's where people are attempting to use it as like a historical term or an analytical term. It's it's kind of a word that's on fire. So we're looking at addressing that. And so honestly, like this podcast for me is like a space to figure out how to be there for people um, and also to recognize that like there are some parts of our experience that are shared um, and there are some parts of that of that shared experience that um, are not going to be as talked about and are not going to be in the media. And so I think we're what I'm trying to do with this podcast is like fill a gap, fill a yeah. gap in the discourse. Absolutely. Right? And I really do feel that all of us, you know, in, in these adjacent communities have more in common than we have yeah. different, but that those differences should also be celebrated because we, you know, we all have different journeys and ways we've identified. Uh, I've identified with or not with women, like the yeah. term woman at different points in my life. And I, you know, realizing that it was, I, I'm like skipping ahead now, but realizing that it was <laughs> something I could embrace and that it wasn't at odds with the way I expressed myself outwardly, like the way I dress and yeah. the way I look yeah. and talk was like a journey that took my whole life, <laughs> basically. Yeah, for real. And I mean, this, um, the podcasting format is like fascinating for me. Well, not fascinating. I'm not that interested in myself, but it's like a super reflective moment for me because my voice has always been the like identifying part of me in terms of that word femaleness, right? Like I get labeled as, a, you know, ascriptively female and I'm comfortable with that now. Like, I love that. I want to be like politically female. And what I meant by that is I value the political visibility of looking like I do and, you know, fucking like I do and being female. Um, but I, I, I will pass as male until I speak. And so that when I was in a super toxic relationship what, that like pitted butches against each other, like who's more masculine, that voice issue was um, like a, a point of insecurity. And I've since kind of grown to love the fact that my outward presentation is like, what can surprise people that my voice has the power to surprise people once they see me. And so the, I just love that. Like now I'm like brave enough to do a podcast because I, I truly think five years ago, I would have been like, I don't like my voice. Like my range is too high. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like voice anxiety was a big part of my journey too. And full disclosure, like I have taken testosterone in my life. So my voice sounds different than it used to, but mm -hmm. like, that voice insecurity lingers with you even if your voice changes like feeling afraid to speak is something that has followed me and even until recently like being afraid being afraid to talk at restaurants or yeah uh, you know it's it's a big part of life <laughs> it's a big For part sure. of life and a big element of fear that gets like brought into everyday interactions so i'm it proud really of does. us for putting our voices out there Woohoo. Okay. Well, uh, okay. So on that note, the reason that this, that this podcast is called Stone Butch Disco and not Stone Butch Blues or something else that is more on the sad spectrum or sad side of the spectrum is because through your Instagram and many others that like I've gotten in touch with, I really think kind of during the pandemic when I was like, where's community? There's a lot of joy. There's like so much butch lesbian joy in the world circulating and and I don't think like we're, we still ain't on TV, like real good. We're still not in the movies. Like no butch lesbian who identifies as a lady is going to have really hot strap on sex with like another lady 
on TV still, even though like we apparently, according to a lot of people have hit like the world of enlightenment with that stuff. And so I want to get that out there, not just sex, but like a lot, like a lot of it is sex, but like the, the kind of joy around like being who we are that I just think doesn't really get shown. And that's one of those gaps, one of those like fissures in the, in the kind of queer liberation moment we're in where like, we're still kind of not there. Yeah. I mean, we see very few experiences of butch lesbians on screen or in media. And when they do, it's not always going to be a joyful story. So showing our joyful stories, whether it's about sex, whether it's about, you know, just daily life is, Mm -hmm. is something exciting. Not about lesbians at all, but uh, my girlfriends and I just watched Power of the Dog a couple months ago. Uh So it is, God, it's based on a book. It is like one of, it's very sad. It's very, you know, it's a powerful story, but by the end, we were just so depressed and we were like, how many gay, sad stories can we watch? (laughs) We've seen the limits of our despair. I would like to see the joy now. For real. And I mean, Brokeback Mountain was like my first experience with that because I saw that my mother, bless her, was willing to expose me to all kinds of stuff when I was like a little, little kid. And I, but I love it because then I became a film major and I like had all this whole repertoire, of like all kinds of films. And with Brokeback Mountain, I was just like, damn, like this is, I don't, I don't even really remember how that movie ends, but I just, re- I just have like film strips in my head of like depressing, dark interactions between the dudes and their their families that they'd kind of like become I don't know whenever I was exploring something with myself I booked to media so like for example like when I first started experiencing issues with like my own gender I remember watching boys don't cry like seeking it out yeah and if you look at that as an example of like what you think your life could be it's like trigger warning for sexual assault there's no happy endings yeah he dies at the end (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was like witness so speaking of boys don't cry and sorry listener this is the introductory episode so we might just like you know ramble bleed out a lot of ramblings around where this podcast came from but I hope it's it's kind of setting us up for our mission but like when it comes to boys don't cry I've witnessed two different times in my like academic career because I used to be like in a PhD program and I quit for reasons that are completely aligned with why this podcast exists oof that's a separate story. Um, but basically I, I heard these like knockdown drag out fights about whether that's a lesbian movie or a trans movie. And I was like, yo, why can't it be both? Why are we fighting? Why do we have to label this thing when it's clearly all wrapped up in like the messiness of that movie is all wrapped up in the depressing aspects of both of those sets of labels. Right. And yeah. Oof. Ooh. Then I quit. Fast forward <laughs> to when I quit. I would like to back up and ask you about how do you feel about the word woman as applied to you? Yeah. So I, I got clingy to the word woman in graduate school. Um, and clingy is totally the right word. I, I'm maybe I'm still in a codependent relationship with the word woman, but I love it. I love the phrase butch lesbian woman. And specifically when it comes out of the mouth of my wife, when she's like, this is what I want, because it's this like doubling over of ownership of, who I am, where I've been, where I come from, and the things about my life that I can't escape and I don't want to escape. Like my my world has been informed by community that I have found with women around the world, like women who come from everywhere. And so I'm clinging to that, I think because it just feels like community. But 
but the reason that I guess that heightened for me in graduate school is because I actually had a professor my what would be the sophomore year of graduate school my second year um there was a professor who created a politics of sexuality class that was the title politics of sexuality and I learned over the course of the semester that this was someone with a with an agenda which many professors trying to be tenured have really strong agendas when they create classes and so the the class the actual secret of it which was kind of like a gotcha at the end was there is no politics of sexuality because sexuality shouldn't be a rallying word like you shouldn't be a political lesbian so i wanted to interrupt our original conversation and try to make this make sense because it's hard to put into words exactly how all of these erasures are happening in academic world um, and not least because they're happening pretty tacitly where people aren't saying that there should be no politics of sexuality, but what they're doing instead, like what, what was happening in this class is that suddenly um, gender was such a construction, such a kind of made up thing that it should not come into our understandings of ourselves, of our sexuality, rendering essentially any sexuality politics that relies on any form of gendered being like lesbian sexuality, just not only kind of politically irrelevant, but almost like materially non-existent. And I have a paper, a couple papers actually, about like this strain of new humanities writing, which is so deeply inaccessible to people who, like, I know I talk with a lot of like jargony fucking words, but this stuff is like very difficult to read if you're not in late stage graduate school where you've already read stuff that's related. Um, but basically it's, I have two papers. One is, um, how queer theory ate lesbian theory in the 1990s, the blob style. And it talks about how queer and lesbian theories actually are not the same thing. They have different kind of analytical thrusts um, and they have like lesbian theory got not only subsumed, but kind of silenced in all of its kind of most crucial, really innovative philosophical um, contributions. And that happened in the nineties. And it happened under the guise of saying that lesbianists let lesbianists, what it happened under the guise of saying that lesbian feminism is essentialist. And the way lesbian feminism was practiced in the academy was anti-essentialist. It was all about freeing the sex body from the boxes that we are born into. So queer theory has been telling lies, man. And so that paper, how queer theory, a lesbian theory is one. And then the other one deals with the strain of philosophy that I talk about in that one. And I try to explain in that one called new materialism. Um, there's another paper called what, what feminist theories are we replacing with? Who's it now? Because I was on one when I wrote that paper, it is a pretty direct critique of a, of a theory that is attempting to replace feminist theory. And it's so popular. It is like thousands of academics reading this stuff and it's just nuts. Like you can see, I'm getting passionate trying to describe it. But this is one of those classes that essentially said, no, 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 queer theory is not about sexuality because it's found, it is not foundationally related to gender. And uh, at the same time, this professor was saying queer theory and feminist theory should not be taught as though they're different things. They should be taught as though they're the same. And the thesis of both of them, according to this person, should be that liberal humanism is a problem. So anytime you value essentially humans or you know anybody living under a liberal government with an identity, anytime you're not deconstructing an identity, you're being irresponsible. You're being irresponsible if you're not deconstructing an identity. And for this person, queer theory and feminist theory should in all circumstances, both be doing the same thing, which is deconstructing any any and all concept of gender stability across history, that there's anything there, that there's a there there at all. I'm upset <laughs> even remembering this. Um, but, but 
queer theory is, for many, merely a way, and I say merely because it doesn't do a lot of good in the world. It is a way to criticize, it is a way to criticize how giant governments are the problem. Giant governments, global multinational corporations and things are queering people like terrorists are queer because they've been othered by governments. It's like that high, high, high scale of theory. And therefore, to get to the end of this rant, there is no such thing as a politics of sexuality because your sexuality doesn't fucking matter. That was the lesson. And this person in the middle of the semester, when I was really in, it was dark times for me because pretty much everybody um, where I was, was more comfortable seeing me I don't, I won't, I won't say everybody, but people at like LGBT center events would ask me a lot of questions as though they knew where I was going as in like, are you considering taking tea? Um, and just a lot of like assumptions were happening. And my second year of grad school, I was really depressed and I was asking myself like, am I trans? And I just didn't know it this whole time. Like I do use a strap on and I, <laughs> I was dating like some people who were like, maybe that makes you a trans man. And I was like, does it? Um, and I was just, I was like in crisis. And when I, when we were talking about the global politics of sexuality that I didn't realize this professor thought didn't exist. Um, I said, well, what about like women around the world, like women around the world? And they said, what women? And I was like, um, but people who identify with that word. And I started kind of stuttering, like, I don't know. And then I, I eventually was like, I, well, I'm thinking like female people, who are labeled as women, like in the United Nations charters, right? Like when we're talking about our rights being defended and, um, and what they said in response to that was, if you just stop using that word woman, you will stop reinforcing the system of gender. And after that, I, I was like, I'm never stopping. I'm going to be a woman as loudly as I possibly can. Cause what the hell, man. That's so infuriating because those structures still exist, like no matter if we're allowed to label ourselves and so much joy has been brought to me through like connecting with other women and all that being gone, but the structure still existing sounds horrible. I know. I was I was like, wow, like what about, and then I started writing papers that were received well by professors because I think they were good theory, but I was too scared to publish them. Like I still have like a backlog of things that I wrote about, for, for instance, like using words as beacons of light rather than these ideas that words trap us. Like who said that the word woman has to trap us? Why can't it be this like completely expansive category that means nothing other than like the joy that it brings you, right? Like why do words have to, <laughs> why? You know, I started thinking, there's this weird way that we're not talking about sex anymore either. Like we're talking about, we're so fighting over whether the word woman should be said, but nobody's fighting over whether the word female should be said or like what that even means. And so I'm like, what happened to like feminist philosophy around sexual difference? And like just the questions that were raised there that literally never got answered. It's, there's this weird, I don't even know how to say this word, but like seizure, where there's like a total gap where like, lesbian philosophy of like what the hell a woman is got just like dropped in the 90s which by the way was super postmodernist and not at all the essentialist thing that today's queer theorists claim that it was and queer theory kind of took over and now it's like we only care what the word woman means and i'm like i don't care what the word woman means but i do care about like having a body and like how hard it is to have a body in the world so like what words am i allowed to use to talk about that right yeah, I think I think like you being afraid to talk about your own experiences is part of the problem because it's it's yeah. not infringing on anybody else for you to talk about how you feel about your body and to seek out writing about that. I mean, I would agree. And I and I have totally loved how 
like just seeing how kind of our, your and my experiences like ping pong off of each other. Like, and I think they'll do that on this podcast too, because we have different embodiments just because of like where we come from. And I think we probably, there's another way in which we have similar experiences because we both were like quote unquote straight for a lot of years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's a, that's a, an experience of your body that you don't like forget. And I mean, in all kinds of ways, like it's not necessarily that it was traumatic at any particular time, but it's like that structure is like the history of my body and what I understand about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, we should be able to talk about all that stuff. And one time I brought up having dated a dude um, in front of like an LGBT center person and they were like, why don't you identify as bi? And I was like, what? I get to choose my words, asshole. Yeah. I mean, I think like there. I don't hear the phrase gold star lesbian discussed as much anymore, right? But I do feel like that's something that kind of hangs over us. And at least for me, I've sensed an expectation that because I look quote unquote masculine or whatever, that I I am a super dyke. I've never, ever, you know, I am a super dyke. (laughs) I've never, you know, (laughs) had any qualms about my sexuality. I've never dated a man. I've never felt shame. Those things are still a part of my story and I'm not less of a lesbian for that. Yeah. I just pulled up our outline again, which I totally think we should fill with emojis and not only as guides, but as inspirations. Um, I, I wanted to ask you because we haven't talked about pronouns yet. And I know that you are comfortable with folks referring to you, addressing you with she, her, and they, them pronouns. I was going to ask you, what's your experience of like how those are used in different contexts? Which ones are you how are they different for you? Are they the same? Like, how does that play out? They're totally different. I will say that, like, having accepted he for a lot of years, I think that I wanted to leave the they option for people, especially at the beginning when I started reintroducing she, when I realized that, like, oh, I will talk more about that later, but realizing, like, oh, I align, I, I see other butch masculine women and I feel like this is me, especially being assumed to be like a cis male or just people would read me as a cis gay male um having that like read over my experiences made me kind of yearn for like oh I'm actually not connecting with these other people and I don't feel like I am actually you know falling into this box you're putting me in if you call me if you call me she it feels affirming it feels like oh yes you're seeing me as a full you know but you're not so like at work and stuff, I'd have to make up stories. Like if people ask you about when you're a little kid and you don't want to talk about being a woman, like you have to fill stuff in. And now it represents to me that I'm not filling anything in. I'm accepting all parts of my life story. And I will say that to me, and I know this isn't how it feels for you. And we'll talk more about that later, that they feels a little more neutral of that. Like, okay, you're not calling me he, but you're not like you're not projecting that on me. I'm okay if you want to just call me a neutral person because like what even is gender anyway, you know? Right. But um, it's not like extra affirming for me to be called they. I will say I've had this discussion with like a lot of people who use they primarily who will only use they for me and say that like, you know, when I hear, when I see you asking to be called she, they, I just kind of assume because that's what I want that you mostly want to be called they. When right. that's not true, it's not extra affirming to me to not be called she, but I do, I do accept it. It's part of my, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also like having a lot of friends who use they pronouns, sometimes like, I feel like it's easier for people not to have to switch into the, if they're just calling our whole, right. little, 
you know, like for example, I'm on a roller derby team and we have a lot, lot, lot of non-binary people. So if you just call, I'm sure some people don't want to be called they, but it's kind of easy for me to switch into a mode where I'm calling everybody they there <laughs> because right, right. You know, it's just, it's just easier. Um, but yeah, a little bit of rambly, but no, no, I, no, no. I do really like being called she. Honestly, uh-huh. I will say that like when I'm in primarily groups of queer people, I notice them calling me they and at work, like I have she, they on my LinkedIn profile, just because I like think it's probably good for people to call out what they want to be called mm-hmm. and I'm okay with it, but I will never, I'm never called they in a work situation. <laughs> I guess, is it okay if we ping pong back to, I would like, love to hear how you feel about the word they is when it's used towards well, you. So I think it's Rhea Butcher who said, they were saying the difference between an identity and a label is that an identity is something I say and a label is something that gets yelled at you. (laughs) And I was like, that's funny. Um, But I think what has frustrated me and the reason that I've been very like, I'm she, her, like I want, I not only do I use the she, her pronouns, but I want to like align myself with that kind of presentation is that that's the most politically powerful position for me I think like with my embodiment like I go into a room and people assume that I'm a dude and then when I insist that I am a she her using human people are like wait what but I also I have really noticed and this is why I've said before and I think this is one of those things that piss people off but I didn't mean it in the in a way other than to call attention to like embodied reality I said there is no such thing as a neutral pronoun but I didn't mean that the words themselves are not neutral. I meant that the way they're employed is not neutral because like, for instance, my wife and I were standing in line at Six Flags for a ride. And the woman behind us said, I I think she asked a question and I like responded. I don't remember what it was, but also I'm, I'm calling her a woman, um, which is just an assumption that I'm making, but that's kind of like the way I think the visual world works, which is where I start talking about neutrality versus non-neutrality. But anyway, the, woman behind me was telling her daughter what I said, whatever the answer was, the wait time or whatever. And she said, you know, what she said was, and she she used she for me at first. And I was like, oh, cool. And then she corrected herself. And she was like, what they said was. And I was like, whoa, this is such an example of like a woman who is doing her best to not be shitty, right? I believe in the concept of original shittiness. I feel like we're all trying to, like original sin, we're all trying to educate ourselves um, and I get it. And I think she was trying so hard, but I was just like, oof, like that woman would not have said that if my wife had answered her question, my wife is feminine. And so I was like, you know, I'm the only one who ever gets asked what my pronouns are. My, my students, when they came in, not, I'm the only one, that's not what I'm saying, but in a situation where everybody else is more obviously cis, I'm the one who will get the question. So like, I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when my students came in at the beginning of the year, this year, um, they were like, miss, what are your pronouns? And I, I was like, thank you. That's really kind of you to ask. Um, but I'm just wondering. And I told them, I was like, she, her like passionately, she, her. And, uh, but I was like, I'm just wondering, did you ask any of your other teachers that question? And they were all like, no. And so I was like, this is why it's not neutral, right? Like, I don't, it's not better for you to assume that I have some kind of gender struggle. And of course, I absolutely said none of this to them, but these were thoughts I was having. So listening back to this recording, that implication that I just made seems incorrect. That like for students to assume absent other information that I am non-binary or use they, them pronouns would be to presume a struggle on my part with gender. But I also, maybe if we're not thinking of the term struggle as like this big emotional thing, 
um, it is in a way to presume that I have some disparity between how I have been understood by the world and who I am rather than that I have embraced that. So it is, I think part of my response to that I'm learning as I'm editing this is that it feels like an attribution of, of something problematic to a hard fought situation where I actually embrace every label that I've been given um, as a way of fucking with the boxes put around those labels. So that's the part I think I don't like. Now, whether that could be termed a struggle, I don't know. Um, but I but I think I said that word struggle for a reason now, the more I think about it. If, if you're only assuming that the people who look like me do. Um, and so it just feels like they, them is becoming, because it's becoming part of the parlance, mm. like they, them pronouns are becoming yet another kind of weird box, which is why I've said on my Instagram, it's not less offensive for you to assume that I'm going by they, them pronouns, than for you to assume that I'm going by he, him pronouns. Yeah. Both are equally incorrect when it comes to what really feels affirming for me. Right. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. And it always felt like literally I would feel a physical kind of pain or dread in my stomach when we would go around at the LGBT center. And I keep, I'm like, it sounds like I'm shitting on the LGBT center at Penn, but Penn is just University of Pennsylvania is kind of on the front lines of doing a lot of brave things when it comes to gender. But what was happening at the same time was some erasures that would occur at those events that I became aware of and some other people became aware of. But my colleagues who identified as lesbians in secret were too scared to say that. But in any case, we would go around in a circle at the LGBT center and kind of give our pronouns. And I would say my pronouns are she, her. And then as the as it passed around the circle, I would just sit there with this pit of dread, like, but I look the way that I do. And my, my experience is so much more complicated than that. And it makes me feel like you're trying to summarize me as this cis woman. When I feel like much like Feinberg says, we're all sitting here, we all have this complex relationship. And so it felt just as false to me to say like my pronouns are she, her as to say like, I'm a woman. Like it just felt like all of those things are these, like these categories that if they become limiting categories if they become simplifying then they're doing the same thing that all the other categories did so i just think if we're owning they them one of the things that i love about it is that as a word yes it's neutral so like i was playing um borderlands the video game and the script writers figured that out and so the script for borderlands refers to the person playing the game as they with they them pronouns the whole time and that feels totally legit to me because i understand that's the nature of that experience um, and I think it's like such a useful term in that way, but only when it's like, to me, I like they, them pronouns when they're opening up possibilities instead of like shutting them down. Well, and so I, so well said, <laughs> <laughs> do you, how do you feel about the words gender nonconforming? That's something I use for myself. I love the words gender nonconforming. Okay. Yeah. But like, as a person who grew up that way, that was something like in the world we're in, I had to question was like, yeah. oh, does this mean I'm a boy. Does this mean, right. you know, are these things I want for myself? And I know there are going to people be people who wonder that as kids and end up at like, yes, non-binary identity is the thing for me. And there are going to be also people like us who say that like, you know, maybe that yeah. straddles our experience, but also like identifying as a woman is really powerful for me. Right. And then, so 100%. And the thing is, I love gender nonconforming. And I also love the term non-binary. Mm. But what's what's become like the thing that I don't know is driving my decisions around that is that non-binary and woman are being set up as two oppositional categories. Like 
if you're a woman, then you're not non-binary. And my thing is like, I present as non-binary. I have sex as non-binary. But pause, because this all kind of falls into incoherence when we're muddying woman, gender, cultural role with female body situation. Because to say that the sex that I have is non-binary is to imply that female people are heterosexual receivers of penetration by default. So I don't want to imply that either. It's But what I'm trying to say is I am gender non-conforming in the sense that the those like kind of the heterosexualizing of the female body that is said to lead to the woman gender, that whole chain of like assumptions that is so false and stupid is broken in a very like obvious way by the way that I do stuff. So ultimately, in a lot of ways, it feels like the material situation of my gender performance is non-binary in most of the dominant ways that people mean non-binary. But I'm but if if you're going to tell me I'm not allowed to be a woman, then I'm going to keep saying I'm a woman. Um, and so it's it's like this politicization of the term non-binary that I don't like. I'm and also the fact like... that people are forcing that onto you. Sorry to interrupt. Right. But people are assuming that like because of the way you have sex or act or look that you just don't know it yet. You're <laughs> right. not a woman. Right. And like a trans trans male experience would be the evolution of my embodiment. This next part kind of drops you into the middle of a conversation that Sam and I had about me being a teacher and teaching youth who are going through, you know, a lot of growth and questions related to their identities. So I just took a chunk of that that was related to what we were talking about previously. Um, The whole story of like my teaching career that ended in a very public firing related to supporting LGBTQ students is on the website. It's kind of entertaining to read um, and also infuriating. But at this point in our longer conversation, I had just mentioned a situation that I've talked about elsewhere and written about, which was two separate students at two different times came up to me and asked if they could still identify as women. And the way it was phrased was as like a request for permission, which of course is horrifying. As a teacher, you're just trying to teach your subject. You're not trying to declare the truth of people's identities. My response, of course, was like, that's not anybody's decision but yours. But the reason it was framed as a request for permission, I realized as they elaborated, was their friends were asking them if they were non-binary because of their presentation. Their friends had given them already quasi-political reasons that the pronouns they, them were more neutral, accepting, more enlightened for people who want to rail against gender stereotypes as I think all high school girls basically have to, to survive. These students felt like if they weren't going to identify as non-binary, that they they needed to explain themselves and that their friends were asking them to explain themselves. Because they came to me looking for a justification of the identity that they wanted to hold on to. So I'm not coming at this from like a protect the children perspective. I truly did lose my job for fighting with those people who say that. But I am trying to identify that the undercurrent of misogyny that is trans-historical, that has been around forever, is going to push kids out of the category of woman as people tell them that they're not allowed to stay. Like, the whole world wants to see men. This is what I've learned. Like, the whole world would rather see a man in the street than a woman. Men would rather deal with men in business, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, they all want me to be a man, right? When people um, reach you as a man in places of business, do you feel they're nicer to you? Because I do. 100. Yes. Yes. And I'm the one who has to negotiate like the terms of our car loan, like all that shit. Um, and it's just because I'm willing to take that on. And then it's like you walk out of that building and you're just like, oh, and it all like sloughs off of you. And then Cardi, my wife is like, okay, you did it again. But like, we're going to heal. We're going to spend the night <laughs> healing from that. Um, but that's the thing. 
the whole world is still misogynist. We're never going to get out of that. And so obviously, like, that's always going to be underneath all the discourses that are happening. And that's what I'm, what pains me is when I have girls coming up to me asking if they're still, basically, if they're still allowed to be girls, because the discourse is not allowing them that space. And like, that doesn't exactly happen in the same way to feminine men, right? There are feminine men. They're like the gay best friend who's feminine, like, good God, one of the guys who kept his job, I'm not going to say where, maybe it was a movie, maybe it was real life, who knows, did like a Beyonce walk in front of the whole faculty. And he was like celebrated for it. And and I just felt like I lived in this cave of like, is she a woman? Like, what are your pronouns? I would have other teachers ask me like, what are your pronouns? And I'd be like, are you asking this guy what his pronouns are? Just because he literally has said he wants to be Beyonce. White dude, by the way. Like, Do you think that's like part of the issue of not having as many butch lesbians in the media? Because I feel like, so like when I was identifying as like a binary trans man, I had a, I had a, a friend of a friend come up to me and say, oh, I saw the Danish girl or whatever. And I understand you now. I understand your struggle. So, <laughs> you know, like, obviously oh that's not the same experience, but do you feel like that if, if there were more stories about us, that it, that's what it takes for people to absorb that we exist? <laughs> I think so. And I think like I have had, okay. So I was on an episode of middle ground and I found out after the fact that one of the women who was on that episode with me is the daughter of like one of my favorite movie stars. And I'm so glad I didn't know while we were doing it. Cause I would have lost my shit. I would not have been able to like participate. Um, but she and I were having this interaction at one point that did not get in the episode because it was probably too dirty where I was explaining that like butch lesbians, can and often do use straps strap-ons and like come at the same time as the lady like at the same at the same time as the person that you would consider consider like and this is a joke term that i use but like the lady like i we use that as like an excessively like feminine term for like the femme in my relationship um so i meant that kind of as a joke but it's like the butch lesbian like can do that and like have an orgasm in the exact same way that a man looks like he would like it's the same visual so that blew her mind like and that blew everybody's mind and I was like why are we in a world where supposedly everybody's accepted but the idea that like butch lesbians have sex this particular way is like unknown like what the fuck and then how am I dating like bisexual women in the past and i'm not trying to say that bisexual is not a real category it's totally a real category i'm just saying that some of those women who i think were maybe new to that identity would say like well you're just the same as like the men so why aren't you like a trans man mm -hmm. and i would be like yo like i i don't want you to like me because i'm like a man i want you to like me because i'm a woman um and then they would be like well why does it matter and i'm like oh wait wait, wait. it does matter it does matter <laughs> um, i should catch some shit for saying bisexual in that way but what i'm trying to do is set up how meaningful it's been for me to date people who identify as lesbians and who are like i want you because you're a woman not like despite or around that fact yeah you just brought something back up for me that was you know when i started realizing when my lesbian egg was cracking <laughs> yeah. i was uh i was with a woman at the time like both also dating other people but she identified as bisexual in our whole relationship she had seen me as her boyfriend and so when I started saying like oh I would like to hear she pronouns you know would be affirming to me it just wasn't really a gap she could make like that wasn't a way she yeah. could see me in her head like even they was a struggle and that was as far as she could get and for me that was like kind of a hard heartbreak in my heart not heartbreak of like realizing that like I don't think I can feel totally loved and seen if somebody isn't seeing me how I see myself. 
Yeah, that is so, that is such a good way of putting it because that was my experience to a T. It really was. I was like, but, but it matters to me that I'm a woman. And, and I really, I was in a relationship similar to you with, with a woman who was like, I only date men otherwise generally. And I was like, well, would you never date another butch woman? And I got tired of hearing, I got tired of being the exception because when, when as a butch woman, you're the exception to the rule of straightness, that hits bad. That doesn't feel good. It really felt like I was just like a not as good man instead of like this special kind of woman (laughs) is what it felt like to me. And I mean, if, if we can be like real, like dirty at this moment, like we had a whole conversation that was deeply uncomfortable to me around whether like the fact that it was different, that I couldn't like have an orgasm where I like ejaculated inside this person. Sorry, that's real dirty, but it's real. The, The trouble with all this is that like, in order to talk about our bodies, sometimes we have to get like sexy and it, and it's, it's uncomfortable for everybody involved, but mm-hmm. like, it's real. And so we had that conversation and I was like, but I'm still like, I'm still really in it. And I'm still like coming, like, why do you, why is it different? And she was like, well, I just like that. And I was like, okay, so you like that more. Whereas like my wife would be like, I don't want that. Like it, it mattered to meet someone who like wanted exactly my embodiment and the way that I owned it. Um, and like got pleasure out of my pleasure in the same way that, and I've always like thought that it's cool that butches use strap-ons. Cause it's like, it's so much more about the other person's pleasure than about like your orgasm or like it can be because that's how you can feel it the best. And it's just like a different way of doing sexuality. And I realized that that woman that I was dating, like was never going to be on board with that. And I was just like, not only was I super depressed, I mean, I was super depressed, but then I kind of came out of it and I was like. I have to get away from this. This is not my territory. Yeah, I think like, oh gosh, I've talked to you about this before, about like before I really came into my identity, I would have this recurring dream of like meeting a woman at a nightclub and it would be getting kind of sexy. It was like going really well. We go into like a place to be private. She would see my downstairs and she would be like horrified that she I didn't have a penis and she would leave. Right. <laughs> and like, I think- there is something really magical about like being loved for exactly who and what you are and how you have sex and how you have pleasure. And like, yeah, it's, it is so isolating feeling like um, how you are is like, I don't know. It's it. They don't get pleasure from that. That's a deal breaker yeah. for me now is if somebody isn't explicitly yes. into who I am. Right. Right. What I have got yeah. going on. And it was, it was, I was starting to realize like it was in spite of me. It wasn't because of me that she, it was in spite of like the things that made me real to myself. Mm. Um, it was like the, you're such a hot, like dude replacement. And I was like, that's not a compliment. That's like a really backhanded compliment. <laughs> um, yeah. So can we talk about sex is... some more? Is that, <laughs> let's talk is about it too sex dirty some more. for the first episode? No, I know we so have good. other things to get to, but I was going <laughs> to. Something I wanted to bring up about like the stone butch in our name is that I think we also have different places along that spectrum. Yeah. Like I am not explicitly only a giver. (laughs) And that's been a, that's been a, a thing in my identity having to come to terms with of like, am I less of like a masculine person if I do enjoy, you know, like physically being penetrated by my partner, um, I'm sorry for talking about this, <laughs> girlfriend. Well, but, you know, I, not this is joy. This is yeah. di- this is the disco part. The disco part. 
I do like, I don't know. I've uh, come to, it's been something I've had to like feel love to embrace though. Is like, right. this isn't something yeah. I probably would have wanted in other relationships if I didn't feel totally like comfortable and ready to explore other avenues of pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm like, I don't enjoy penetration, which also is like a huge part of my experience as like a female. Like what I would consider my female experience has placed me just as an individual in a weird relationship to penetration. Mm -hmm. Not weird, like bad, but just like almost like a past that I've lived that like doesn't align with who, not who I am. It does align with who I am because it is who I was, but it's like, doesn't align with exactly what kind of gives me pleasure these days. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I'm so detached from it in my world that it doesn't inform like the way that I penetrate my partner I have always thought this is like informed by how I have been penetrated mm. bad and good but for me the thing is boobs and I I kind of jokingly kind of jokingly implied that we should have like an entire segment about boobs and like their <laughs> absence because I think it's such a big fucking deal and it's like it carries on this importance from like men going like Auga. like it's still like supposed to be such a big fucking deal to everybody and you and I have talked about this and it's like I'm kind of body agnostic where I'm like I have my boobs that's cool I didn't if I didn't that I probably still love myself like it's not like a, an identity make or breaker um but the thing that's like really vulnerable about that is that they're like my this is going to be excessively detailed, but like my nipples are super sensitive. And so my wife knows that like, she doesn't touch them until like a certain point in sex, which is the moment, like when you were talking about feeling loved, mm -hmm. there's like a mo like a peak moment where I'm like super comfortable just like being myself and like, I'll be doing the fucking, but she knows that she can like touch me then and on my boobs, which like I, you know, I just have this like kind of complex relationship with them, but like, I love that at that moment. So like, I wouldn't at this point at which I'm at right now in this relationship that I'm at right now, I wouldn't want to lose them. And I wouldn't want to lose that because she's like into that. And she's into the contrast between like the cock and the boobs and you know, all that stuff. And like, truly, I think true queerness is going to be into all that, like oh, yeah. contradiction and all that. And so that's really, really cool to me. And the other thing about boobs, oh, whenever, um, I'm comfortable enough to make this joke. The thing that gives me away as a woman in public space is like tits and ass, man. Like I have both. And like, I'm always, my sister will look at me and be like, I don't know how they fucking can't tell because my ass is huge. Mm -hmm. Like for like, <laughs> I've grown to like love it because we've, we've like created this whole kind of not like fantasy. What's the word? Like a, like a sexual pleasure universe where like the ass helps with the fucking right. And it's like muscle, but it's there. And like, so are my boobs. And I like that part now. I used to be like, I don't know how to be whatever. But now when I go into public space, that is without the clothes that I normally wear, which tend to give me a more masculine frame. And I look the way that I am. I can see people like looking mm -hmm. at me and I'm like, good, like be confused. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I think coming into a lesbian relationship too, as somebody who's had top surgery, like I do have sensitive nipples and stuff, but my chest is flat and I didn't know how my partner would react to that. Mm. Um, she like, I guess already knew cause she stalked my Instagram and stuff and was into <laughs> it. Cause I have like cool tattoos and stuff, but feeling like, oh, I do have really curvy hips. I know yeah. this is the thing I can offer. I remember like, <laughs> you're saying, like I, I showed up like on our first, on our first date where we did hook up. I like wore really, really nice underwear because I was like, this is what I'm ready to present. 
I am ready. But like, I don't, I don't know. I was so afraid that I would be seen as less of a woman for having, for having a flat chest. And she didn't see me that way. And that's all about the magic of being, being seen for who you are, I think. Yeah. I just think everybody, and this is like everybody, everybody's body um, gives you options. Like the coolest thing about bodies is that like they're, you know, as Freud tells us or who the fuck tells us, I don't know, some dude um, that like, there are so many different pleasure centers, like as your body changes and grows, like shit changes. And that's like a source of joy. Like there's no reason. And I, I am all about like the sexy female body. Like there are things about being female and having like, I don't know, like it's hot to talk about clits. Let's talk about them. It's hot yeah. to talk about whatever, right? Like, like that shit is hot. Vulvas are hot. I'm into that. Um, and, but there's like a thousand different ways for that to be hot and a thousand different ways for that to be pleasurable. But I also, I just don't think that we should like hide any part of femaleness to mm. suit the patriarchy because like that shit is hot for lesbians and we deserve yeah. to be on television. Like also, like I didn't realize like how my clit would change when I was on testosterone. And also that's like, I don't take testosterone anymore just on my, just on my little ovary powers, but like that stuck around, like, and I really do think that kind of has impacted how I've experienced pleasure. Cause I don't know if anyone has ever talked about this before, but I didn't enjoy penetration before I took tea. And I, uh-huh. I have this theory that my inside clit also grew like the clit as a whole grew right. and that I can feel some of that like G spot wise now yeah. is my theory. Think, <laughs> well, and I don't think you're alone. Like I, you know, I went down like a rabbit hole in grad school about all the different kind of experiences. I feel like that's like a thing that happens and we should, we should and can and will talk to people who have also experienced all different places on that spectrum because I have heard similar things about like, like pleasure centers. And I think that's like really, I just think it's cool. Like as a nerd about the body, kind of, I'm just like, oh, interesting. Like, so you can really like, putting it all out there today. <laughs> we really are. We really are. But I mean, it's shit that's not out there. It's not out there enough. Like you have to dig, you have to go into a rabbit hole. Like I said, you have to like dig, dig, dig to find people who are willing to talk about like how their clit is bigger. Like, cause nobody, you can't just like walk down the street. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that shit's cool. I know we have to like get through this outline. I, I feel like we're just rocking. Um, I wanted to ask you so many things. Well, okay. We've talked about bodies. We're talking about sex. What's the other, like, <laughs> I'm acting like that's like all of it. What is your favorite thing about being a butch lesbian identified it as such? I think for me, it's like, in some way, it's stepping into a box that is a little bit boxless because there's so many different ways to be a butch lesbian, mm-hmm. like reading, reading Feinberg. And also reading a bunch of other different experiences of the ways, you know, other people have been butches. There's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. And that was kind of freeing and knowing that like things that I may have thought were at odds with being a lesbian, like that I had used he, him pronouns and things like that in the past. Like there are so many other dykes who have gone before me who have (laughs) played with gender. And I think it's, I think it's living in a, a very uh boundaryless box. If I have to be in some sort of box, it should be one like this that makes me feel good and like I'm it's okay to explore. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Boundaryless box. I kind of I'm I agree. I think of it like a light. Like we're like moths mm. to a light and the light is called butch lesbian and all the moths are like around it being like different and weird. Um I love that. 
I had to, you know, I had to come up with that one time because people were like shitting on labels so much around me that I was like, wait a minute. Like, what if they were like happy? Like, mm. what, what if, what if I was like happy when you call me a lesbian? That like, it kind of comes back to what you're talking to at the beginning of like, I think I was so worried that because my experience might've been different from others that like, not that we're like different moths gathered around the same light that like, if I'm a different kind of moth, maybe we won't connect. Yeah. <laughs> it was something I've been really worried yeah. about. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, I hope that if, if for instance, this podcast becomes the new voice of our generation, for instance, <laughs> I'm just saying, but like, you wouldn't want there to be a future in which like butch lesbian becomes limiting again. Mm-hmm. Like there's yet another whatever. And I wonder if that's because we're such a minority and because we feel like we're not around that it's like, but we, we can just like use this word, just throw this word out, like as a wrench in the system mm-hmm. right now. And I wouldn't want it to ever not be like a wrench. Um, and hopefully like, even if you listening, that's not your particular identity, maybe there's some sort of warmth you can gather from our little light flame. If that's just like dismantling the boxes or that there are a lot of different ways to be, however you identify, you know, it's, if it's not your light, hopefully there's still some warmth there for you. Yes. I, this is what I want this podcast and the website to be. So we have a companion website we could create a companion app but grinder already exists um, <laughs> but we we are working on a website that like there's so many different corners of it and different like in the lesbian library the bookshelf there's like like different people to click on with totally different experiences that i just feel like anyone could come to that website and be like huh like there's stuff to think about here which is like what i'm hoping this podcast can be we're just a couple of weirdos um but we're trying to be better people about all of this. And I think like talking through it and like providing spaces for things that don't get said to get said is going to like make a difference, hopefully. And if like there's something that you don't hear said in this space that you feel like belongs there, like we welcome you to message us and maybe you want to come on and talk to us. You know, there's room for lots of different voices in the disco. For sure. That's and the disco ball is, is supposed to be a symbol of the reflection and refraction of all of us, right? Like we can't be, and we're not trying to make you a little tiny square on a ball either. Mm-mm. That's that's too limiting as well, but just walk with the metaphor, dance with the metaphor. Um, so could you, we can there. save some of this beautiful goodness for our next episode, but I would really love for you to read this nice passage you pulled from Transliberation because this is so beautiful. Sure. Which one? So the one about masculine girls. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I, let me, introduce this by talking through kind of my my relationship with stone butch blues Mm. um i uh, i had like a kind of typical dallas texas upbringing where um yes there are girls who like boy things but those girls are only kind of existent in the realm of things people care about according to their distance or of similarity, like to boys. So I was like the only girl in our gifted and talented space for a while. And I don't know why, I don't know why that was kind of gender specific. I don't know if that was my friend group, but I just remember getting compliments because I could keep up with the boys in every way. So like the intellectual way, the um, sports way, like I, I remember thinking really early that I was the the one who was like the boys on my soccer team, which was a co-ed soccer team, but I always got kind of pushed into the roles that were otherwise the boys' roles. 
And I would be given certain tasks at practice that just made me align with the boys. And I remember thinking that was a compliment at the time. And then I kind of grew into like, why did I think that was a compliment? Um, But so that was kind of how I was, how I was raised. When I, I had like a really good throwing arm, right? I threw a baseball really fast and that made my next door neighbor, who was a boy who was a few years older than me say, I should play baseball and not softball because I had a good overhand throw. And that was such a complicated thing for me because I didn't want to play softball because it was feminized and I was better at baseball, um, but I couldn't be on the baseball team. That was just like not a thing. And then, you know, somebody who's important in my life was like, you can't play hockey because you're a girl. It's not a sport for girls. And so I remember saying when I was a kid, like, I wish I was a boy so I could like do this stuff. Um, And boys were just given all the attention. They were given all the attention. (laughs) I'm going to stop telling these stories, but I was writing them down thinking about this podcast. And, you know, there's a moment, lots of moments in my life, but one that was really painful where um, my group of girlfriends and I were on the bus, we were going on a field trip and there was like a group of boys in the back. Um, actually, how much time? We have three minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So eventually I will stop um, telling these depressing stories, but there's one that really sticks out in my mind and heart, which um, was like a bus trip with my whole sixth grade class. Like I got put on a bus with my group of four friends who were girls. We were all like the nerd girls. And there was a group of boys in the back and their, one of their moms was with them and they kept loudly harassing my friends who were just lovely, nerdy girls. They weren't, you know, it was sixth grade. So there, there was like early compulsory heterosexuality happening. And these, they were making fun of them for everything, for being ugly, for being nerds, for being whatever. And the mom just had this like boys will be boys approach, like would not, would not step in. And one of my friend's moms was there and she was just like, ignore them, ignore them. But it was, it was like this weird hyper gendered thing where even our group and like the mom of our group was secondary to everything that was happening back there that people were laughing at and all that. And it was like, they were allowed to do that. And I, when I was playing with the boys in my neighborhood, similar thing, it was like, I got hit one time by a boy and, um, the mom was like, boys will be boys. And I was like, well, in what way? So I'm not going to hit him back. Cause that's not the way I was taught. Am I a girl here? Or am I a boy here? Am I supposed to take the punch? Am I like, why does he get to do that and be a boy about it? So there was all this stuff like growing up in this, I, I don't know if it's just this area. I would imagine it's a lot of places in the United States. Cause I don't think we're beyond that. No. Um, I was raised in this world where like butch women were who you didn't want to be. The the only time anybody ever talked about a butch lesbian, it was like twice. And the members of my family said like butch lesbians are butch lesbians because they couldn't get a man. So they're trying to be one. Um, And on top of that, I do remember like my dad saying to me that like lesbians like women. And so if you don't look like a woman, look like a woman, you know, you won't be loved. Yeah. Will you call me back and we'll start the call again? Okay. I will, I will get to this dang quote. So, okay. So I find Burke's book. I just burped into the mic again, which I said I would do. And I did it again. Um, so I'm keeping my promises, but Feinberg's book, which I read as a junior in college was like the first thing that put me back in touch with who I had been as a little kid, because as a little kid, I would walk around and I would wear like boys shorts and all that and play with the boys. And um, twice when I was younger, a really mean boy was like, are you a boy or a girl? And so I got that question and Feinberg has multiple sections about how she got that question. Um, you know, like beautiful little passages. And so when I read this book as a junior in college, what had happened in the interim is I had done a thing that Feinberg says happens to girls, which is you become like 
you're like, you're a, you're a little tomboy or whatever. And you get kind of disciplined into the role that you're supposed to have when you're um, a preteen. So like you, you, puberty happens, whatever you become more of a sexual being for instance. And like, not for instance, that didn't make sense, but you become more of a sexual being in fact, and you take on compulsory heterosexuality because that's the expectation. Like my middle school experience was I'm going to be so straight that I'm like the best at it. Right. I'm going to date all the popular guys. I'm going to like have the power that the men have like through them. And that was exactly what I did. That was my, mm. my plan. Right. And so I ended up not really liking that. So I got a beard. Is that the word they still use? Mm -hmm. I have a, I had a male, I had a boyfriend who became a quote unquote fiance to protect both of us essentially. Um, from the time I was 14 to when I was 21. And it was just wow. my safe zone. I was a career nerd. I, you know, wanted to be it. I wanted to go to grad school and all that stuff. So I really just dug my head into books and I just had him there like, so that I didn't get questions. Right. And it, I became somebody else. Well, by the time I was a junior in college and I read this book, I was 20 years old. I knew I was attracted to women, but it was something that like, I wasn't able to act on. And I thought I never would. Um, because like I told him and he was super cool about it, but he was also like, well, I guess you don't have to like, you know, be with women. You can just like know that about yourself. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I read this book and it just, it was so powerful stone butch blues. And it, it captured, it almost reminded me of who the little girl that I was had been. Mm -hmm. And I remembered, and it was like kind of an opening up of like, I don't know if I'd call it trauma, but pains and things that I had felt as a kid that I don't think had ever healed. Um, and so I just wanted to read some quotes from Stone Butch Blues so that so that we can see uh, to kind of found our our discussions of who mm. we've been and where we're going. Mm -hmm. So there's a moment there's a moment in this book, and I'm going to read them where Feinberg is playing with a boy in her neighborhood. And this this is one of those moments where I was like, holy shit, this was me. Okay, she says. My mother called me into our house for dinner. Who was that boy you were playing with? I shrugged. You were showing him your muscle? I froze, wondering how much she'd seen. She smiled. Sometimes it's better to let boys think they're stronger. I figured she was just plain crazy if she really believed that. So I had a best friend in third grade who acted dumb on purpose. And she actually told me, she was like, if the boys think they're smarter, they'll date you. She was like nine. Dallas, Texas is a weird place. We were like being groomed really early. If you're talking about grooming motherfuckers, yeah. <laughs> great grooming is real. Um, so that was like such a thing. Uh, you have to let the boys feel they're superior. And then if, if everyone else sees them as superior, you have to be like them, right? Okay. But here, once I read Stone Butch Blues, and it took me a little while, right? Because I had to break up with that boy. I had to date a girl. I was in love with a professor. There was a lot of messiness around this transition in my life, but I did some digging and I found um, Feinberg's other book, Trans Liberation. And uh, this, this passage is just so oof. This is her. I watched as masculine girl children like myself, referred to as tomboys, and feminine boys, branded as sissies and pansies, were shamed, threatened, beaten and terrorized into conforming to a pinker or bluer tint of gender. Many of the accommodations they adapted as teenagers, longer or shorter hair, a practice swagger or sway, or an exaggerated public exhibition of heterosexuality, did little to conceal their forbidden gender expression, but instead twisted their whole beings into a countenance of self-loathing and defeat. Oof. 
self-loathing and defeat. I was, I was reading that and I was like, well, that ain't me. That's not me. Uh, -uh." but I was thinking like, holy shit, I'm still this masculine person that I was when I was a little child. And that's, that's the way in which I'm attracted to this professor. I like being like the more masculine one. And I was like, fuck, how am I still dating a man? And so this was, this was the book that like really blew shit up. So, so here we get to this podcast. Sam, what does that quote mean to you? Uh, I think it, it really does speak to like the trauma of what we've had to go through in a society that like tries to like they say wash you into pink or bluer tints of yourself you know grinding you down and it does instill self-loathing and defeat and that's yeah. something we have to unpack our whole lives you know even though I something I've heard my girlfriend explaining to straight people is that I do still feel shame for being gay I am an out woman I'm very proud of being gay but I still do have that shame within me that I have to battle every day yeah. just because that trauma doesn't go away overnight right you know even I think that's going to be for a lot of us, a lifetime journey is like finding the joy. And that's what we're here to do. I love it. And the other thing um, that we're here to do is we're trying to save the dusty lesbian studies bookshelf that I think every blue city bookstore has. It's like usually in a, like in a corner that's kind of separate from like all the hot and happening gender theory. And um, I, I noticed that I think when I was when I was in grad school and I I realized no one was really reading Feinberg anywhere. Like if you actually try to download the Kindle version of Feinberg's book today, it's like a weird wonky PDF. Like shit is shit is messed up. And it's like, would any other book in like the foundations of gender theory have this weird kind of side shelving um, compared to that book? And I know a lot of people have read it, right? But it's like we weren't talking about it. The super creative stuff Feinberg was doing with gender had been replaced with these like completely unmoving like publishing labels trans or queer there was there was almost like no lesbian studies label when you were looking in a bookstore at the publishing kind of you know the little tiny letters on the back of the books um and I was just like what happened to what Feinberg was doing and no one was reading like Judith Butler's theory on lesbians they were reading Butler's theory on other stuff but it was like there there was this weird gap and so I think the other thing that we want to do with the podcast is like bring to fruition all the nerd thinking that you and I have both been doing about what that er what those erasures mean and like what people have been what lesbian philosophers really have been saying since the beginning of written the written word that that kind of gets shoved to the dusty bookshelf um not anymore we'll not anymore <laughs> not anymore um I mean, it's, there's, I have a whole, like in our outline, there's like a whole series of like really depressing interactions I had with academics that I think you saw, Sam, that are like just oof moments where it's mm -hmm. like, stop talking, stop, stop talking about women, stop talking about lesbians, like shut up. And I was like, why, why, why do I have to shut up? In the future, what we're going to try to do in that realm, like in that, what am I trying to say? On behalf of, in the name of our project is talk about a historical masculine lesbian of the week. And a contemporary masculine lesbian of the week, just to kind of celebrate our people, to find joy there. Um, we're going to have a segment called This May Surprise You, which is going to be about sexy stuff. It's going to be about just tips or facts about lesbian sex and not like instructions, but more like, did you know that this happens? And we'll see how long it takes for us to run out of like sexy facts like that. Um, I did propose a segment about boobs. Not sure about that one. 
it's really important to me that we're going to have a fuck fuck goose segment. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So fuck fuck goose is um, kind of like a purge corner for negativity where like we look back at the news of the week and we, there are two people who we want to say fuck you to, but then there's like a goose who wins the prize of being like the biggest fuck you. Um, and I'll save, we'll save our chosen fuck sticks for next week. Mm-hmm. Lesbian knock knock joke. How do you feel about this, Sam? I would like, I would like to enact this one together. Let's, okay, let's, do, let's it. do it. Okay. Knock knock. Who's there? Lesbian sex. Lesbian sex who? Me later tonight, I hope. Hey yo. <laughs> okay. So this is That's so that, much fun. I really enjoy that. And I don't even really care if listeners love it as much as we do, because I feel like that's gonna it's gonna keep us going. We deserve um, it. It's like a little lollipop we get after going to the doctor. We talk about our trauma <laughs> and then we get to tell a knock-knock joke. Oh, that's exactly right. So I basically, I stopped requesting to go to the dentist after they stopped handing out toys. And this is like replacing that void in my life. Um, Yeah. So we, I guess we need to plug ourselves. Yes. Yes. You can find us at Stonebutch Disco on Instagram. Uh, we do have stonebutchdisco.com, our companion website. You can find us on YouTube at stonebutchdisco. And please, please send us little messages. Email us at stonebutchdisco at gmail.com. We love you. We love you very much. And hey, Rachel. Yeah. Have have you heard the good news? Uh, what is it? It's Butch Lesbians. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good night, Rachel. Good night. Uh, back again like flu season. I broke records while loose leaf and I'm coming now on my roof leaving. Don't give a f- I don't care. Uh, did the f- my lonesome. No wonder now I'm on one. No shortcuts on that long run. All I really want is my share. Uh, get him, my God, I told him it's nothing.